Hey y'all, this is Sarah Bradley. Get ready to check out the latest episode of Eat Kentucky. I'm Alan Cornett, and this is the Eat Kentucky Podcast. Welcome back to the Eat Kentucky Podcast, where we celebrate Kentucky, its food, and its culture. This is your host, Alan Cornett. This episode's guest is someone many of you are familiar with from Bravo's Top Chef Season 16, which featured Kentucky locations and ingredients. Chef Sarah Bradley operates the Freight House in Paducah, Kentucky, a farm-to-table restaurant that also features one of the top-rated bourbon bars in the country. Sarah discusses her busy travel schedule, the fun of being a new mom, and her decision to pursue the culinary arts after finishing UK. Plus, Sarah pulls back the curtain on being on Top Chef, the pressure she felt as the hometown chef in season 16, and why she turned down a spot on the new Top Chef season. Sarah also shares her favorite bourbon picks and how pregnancy has expanded her palate to include a new spirit that's not from Kentucky. All that and why she never wanted to move back to Paducah, but now says it's Paducah forever. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast, and it would mean a lot if you could leave a five-star rating. Also, if you'd like to help support Eat Kentucky, you can be a patron at patreon.com slash eatkentucky. Now join me as I talk to Chef Sarah Bradley on what turns out was a special day for her. Chef Sarah Bradley, welcome to Eat Kentucky. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Yeah, it's a rainy day in Lexington. We are downtown looking out a rainy window, but spring is finally here. I know. I'm ready for some nicer weather. I know it. And you have been traveling all over the place. Yeah, I mean, I just came back from Charleston uh, Food and Wine Festival, and we were expecting beautiful weather, and it was cold. It oh, was really? rainy oh. and cold. Charleston shouldn't do that to you. I know. And then the day we left, now it's like 75 degrees, sunny. That's the yeah. way it always works. I saw that you uh, were down there with one of the past guests on Eat Kentucky, C.J. Lotes of Garden and Gun magazine. C.J. is amazing. You know, C.J. and I first met when she came in to eat at Freight House with her mother. Oh, okay. Um, it was kind of just by, you know, by chance that we ran into each other and... I was working on a project with Garden and Gun, and so she thought, well, I'll stop by and see. And we've gotten, we became really close. Oh, yeah, that. she's great. She's wonderful. Yeah, she was in town promoting the Southern Women book that came out in the fall, mm-hmm. and I snagged her to sit down for a little while and uh, had a great time. But uh, you also, uh, not only were in Charleston, you were at Buffalo Trace recently, I saw. Yeah, I got to do, I mean, it's kind of every, person's dream, Buffalo Trace sent out this list and they said, who, which distillery do you want to do? Like which lineup, you know, and they had all these different lineups and I thought, well, I'm going to take Weller for sure. I mean, that's going to be a, a great dinner and it's weeded. So it's easy to, it's really easy to pair food with. Um, but yeah, we went all, we did the whole lineup all the way from the 90 to the LaRue. So oh, wow. it was fun. Yeah. So you, you have been pretty busy traveling around. I have, I've got 
a couple more events. I've got actually here one tonight in Lexington, the mm -hmm. Feast event, um, which benefits food chain here in Lexington. Um, Weta Michael puts that together, and there are a bunch of really great female chefs from all over the country that are here. And then um, we've got some James Beard Boot Camp in Asheville, North Carolina on Sunday. And so what, what's, a, what's a James Beard Boot Camp like? Boot do, they, camp. do they have like doing lunges or well, anything like that? <laughs> I think that I think the schedule is pretty intense. Um, and you know, we're only there for about 36 hours. Um, there are, I counted up the list today, there are 16 chefs and there are, you know, six professionals from James Beard. And we're going to learn um, kind of how to do, you know, use good food for good. Mm -hmm. So how do we take what we've got, um, you know, how do we use... I don't want to say our celebrity, but our influence. How can we be better chefs, you know, more than just cooking good food? How can we do good? Mm -hmm. And so uh, this one will focus on SNAP benefits, so okay. school assistance. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm going there. I'm hoping I get to talk a little bit about uh, Asian carp in Western Kentucky. Right, which is both, I guess, a nuisance, but also... Delicious. Uh, also, you've, you, I saw it was on your menu. So. Yeah. Yeah, we've had Asian carp on the menu since day one. Um, it's sustainable, it's wild caught, um, you know, and it's sustainable and wild caught because it is an invasive species right. and it is so prevalent. There's millions and millions of pounds of it in the water. And uh, so, yes, yeah, so I'm hoping that I get to... So there's no chance of running out of it anytime soon. Oh, goodness, no, <laughs> not anytime soon. But that's great. I mean, that's... Uh... If it's going to be invasive, at least let it taste good, right? Yeah. I mean, there is a chance of it eradicating all of the native populations. Oh, right, so that's which is one the reason. You know, that's one reason we got to find lots of ways to use it. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's you're, you're helping solve the problem, I guess. Yes, eat more carp, you guys. <laughs> that's right. So you, you're at this uh, Feast 2020 tonight at the time of this recording, and uh, it's at Fozzie Tipton. Is yes. that right? And it's just sort of an all-star lineup of female chefs, both from Kentucky and from outside of Kentucky. Yeah, um, we are benefiting Food Chain. And if you don't know about Food Chain, you know it's over next to Wex Sixth Brewery. Mm -hmm. And they've really and, figured and out... Smithtown Seafood. Yeah, there. and Smithtown Seafood, one of Weta's spots. Um, and, you know, they've figured out a way where they're gleaming from farmers around, you know, they farmers can't get rid of everything. There's a lot of stuff that goes to waste um, or a lot of stuff they produce and they aren't able to sell. So um, they will pick it up, they, you know, they bring it in and they're teaching people in the community processing skills that don't necessarily have a skill set yet. Um, they're teaching them a skill set they can carry on into other kitchens. So how to process food, how to break down food, how to work in a kitchen. And then um, they have huge freezers and um, dehydrators and you know uh, they can do all kinds of really cool stuff and they, they they redistribute that food out at times when people don't always have access to fresh food mm -hmm. so and they have cooking classes they're just really doing so much for the community and it's an honor to be involved yeah it's a great uh, great cause and they brought in some obviously great folks like yourself yeah. uh, here so you how often do you do events so you've got this just this little time period where I know you're very busy. Are you doing that all the time? Do you have little spurts where you do it? I try to set up in spurts. Um, I'll try to do, you know, a couple of weeks that are really packed and then take, you know, six weeks off and then 
couple of weeks that are really packed. I haven't done a ton of that. I have a nine-month-old baby. Well, I was going to ask you that. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank that's, you. That's a bit of a time. This is the uh, longest I've ever been away forever. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, so I have a little baby, and so I try to not be gone for long periods, right. you know. So how's, how's motherhood treating oh, you? Oh, man, I didn't know it'd be so much fun. <laughs> I think if I knew it was so much fun, I just, I just, it's like you, you know, you're, you have all kinds of loves growing up. You love your parents, your first boyfriend, your husband, your best friends. You have all these loves. And I'm actually 38 years old today. Today's oh, my birthday. Well, happy yeah. birthday. My birthday is on Thursday. So happy birthday it's, to you. Oh, thank yeah. you. It's the, uh, it's the right week to be born. So. I know. It's a good week. Well, I feel honored that you've taken this time to be with me today. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> I mean, it's not every day you get to come on and talk about you know, learning about a new type of love when you're 37 years old, you know, having a child, I just didn't know it existed. Um, and she's always down in the kitchen with me. She just strap her on. She has her own little chair that attaches to the prep table. You know, it's been a lot of fun. Well, it is, uh, it is a lot of fun to have kids. I will tell you as somebody who has three daughters and they're not nearly as little and cute as (laughs) <laughs> as they used to be, that sometimes they can be a little bit of a trial, but you still love them. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> I know. That's what everybody says. They say, wait till she starts learning to say no. <laughs> well, that's talk true. Back, and it's going to be a totally different problem. And once they learn, they don't stop. Yeah. They, well, they, <laughs> they, they get that firmly ingrained. So I'm glad that mom life is treating you well, and I'm glad that you're here in Lexington right. on your birthday. Yeah. Hope you have a, a good time today. I think it'll be a good time. Yeah. So Lexington's not unfamiliar to you. You spent some time here. You went to UK, is that right? Yep, I'm a UK grad. Um, both my parents UK grads. Oh, okay. My siblings are UK grads. So it's a UK family. Yeah, you're, we are ble- bleeding blue. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the time of year for for UK. I know. Folks. It's great. So. My my husband is um, a huge UK fan, and uh, you know he gets right down on the floor with the baby, and they chant. C-A-T-S, while the game is going on, she doesn't know what's happening, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's Well, I will tell you, I did, a, I did a poor job of indoctrinating my daughters because as soon as the game comes on, like, the room clears, and so oh, it's just me, but uh, so, so keep, her, keep her focused will be my advice on that. When you were here at UK, did you have any particular food spots you like to hit? Any that are still around? Oh, goodness. Well, you know, when you're, I think it takes time for a palate to develop. Oh, sure. And I think that while I was at UK, my palate veered more towards um, beer and, you know, pizza, bourbon man. and ginger and pizza. <laughs> you know, Pazos was, the, was a happening spot whenever I was here. I've heard that it recently closed down, but I mean, that was like a place, you know, we spent lots of time. Um, I don't know. I cooked a lot at home. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was, I think that was really a time, you know, my brother and I were both working for caterers and, um, we so were you, so you were already involved when you were yeah. here. So that was what you did. I have always found a way to have a job in a kitchen, mm-hmm. even when I was going to school for something else, even after I graduated and I was working, I worked at Eastern state hospital for a short stint. Oh, okay. I still had a second job working in a kitchen because it's what I really like to do. So so when you made the choice then to pursue that 
professionally. That was what you were really already pulled to do. Yeah. I mean, I always, it's what I always wanted to do, but it just didn't seem, you know, at that time, it didn't seem like a feasible thing. You know, Mm -hmm. I felt like I needed to come and get a four-year degree and go on that kind of standard path. Now, I could have gotten a four-year degree at a culinary school, but, um, you know, I was in state and I had all this keys money and, you know, it, it didn't have to take out a lot of loans to go to school. And so, um, so I went that path, and but I, I think it all works out. It all sure. Works well, out. you're in a good place. Yeah. It's you kind of you've gotten there, but well, let's let's explore that just a little bit. It's interesting because this is a this is a topic that, I've, as you might imagine, has come up here recently. Uh, I talked with Chef Newman Miller about it. Uh, Stacy Roof, who's head of the Restaurant Association, about sort of how wide open hospitality is in Kentucky. Newman talked about difficulty of staffing which mm-hmm. is something you probably deal with at your restaurant and getting young people to recognize that that is a path for them so what do you find do you have trouble with staffing as far as just keeping enough people in the restaurant and um one of the you know it's paducah it's not i'm not competing you know there are some great restaurants on there but we, we aren't so flooded that we're competing for staff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that I've noticed, and this is something my father always taught me, is that if you treat people well, they'll work hard for you. So, you know, we have a lot of staff that has been there since day one. People are usually there for extended periods of time. Um, you know, it's pretty rare that I have a cook that stays for six months. You know, they're usually all there a year, two years, oh, three that's years. Great. Um, so they're there for a long time, but one of the things that we've started, you know, you were talking about staffing and finding people is we started an extern externship program with the local high school that has a culinary mm-hmm. program in it. And so I'm getting a different female every year. Um, we're on our fifth girl now, maybe sixth, fifth or sixth girl. Um, and we're getting a different student and they're coming in and seeing if culinary is really what they want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, the last um, girl that worked for us, young girl, she's now working the line at the restaurant, and she's headed to culinary school in the fall. Um, she's a high schooler. She's working with grown men on the line, and she's oh. holding her own. You know, but she's been with us for almost a year now, mm-hmm. so she's really, you know, when she goes off to culinary school, you know, I always tell her, I say, when you go to culinary school, you want to be the best person in the room. You want to know everything and so and she is she's going to go in knowing how to emulsify sauces and you know how to cook a piece of fish and stuff like that so just basics that she's ahead of the game with. she's ahead of the curve yeah well you know that is clearly a trend a good trend you doing uh bringing those students got sort of the high profile lee initiative um and we know you know wita of course works with a lot of people um do you see that other places that people that chefs who have restaurants like yours are are doing more mentoring yeah i mean i think that if you are going to become a successful chef whether it's you know successful because you have a bunch of restaurants or successful because you have i mean whatever it is to be a good chef you have to be a good teacher um, you know, there is a constant exchange of information in the kitchen every single day. You know, how do you want me to do this? 
say, well, just hammer it and puree it and pass it through a chinois. You know, like people need to know all of that. But in order to be able to get to the point where you just say three easy steps of how to make this puree, you have to start in the beginning and show them, Right. you know, bring the water to a boil, make sure it's seasoned, add the things that take the longest to cook first, then add, you know, the things that taste the least. And then it's all going to go in the Vitamix. You're going to put it on as, you know, so this is a, a learning process that really takes time. Um, so I think that if you want to be a good chef, you probably already somewhat are someone that cares about education and cares about sharing knowledge. Um, it's the bad ones. You're not going to succeed if you keep it all in. You got to let people, you know. Right. Yeah. That takes a lot of patience and time, though, to, to spend with them. It does, but um, it goes back to, you know, treating people well. You know, it's instead of me, you know, just having people come in at, you know, 3.30 every day and, and everything has been prepped for them and they just set up their station and work the line. That's not teaching them anything. You know, I want these guys that work for me to go on to become successful restaurateurs themselves. And so they really need to see all aspects of it. You know, in my kitchen, you are required to order your own, you order your own stuff. You, you know, you, we have, you have to come up with dishes. It's not just me coming up with dishes. You know, I'm saying you want to change the chicken dish? Cool. Tell me tomorrow what we're changing it to. And then it takes work to get it to the dish that actually goes on the menu. Sure. But we do it together. Yeah, and you're opening the door for them to think about it in a different way. Yeah. It's not just an assembly line. Yeah. What, maybe I can make this better. Maybe I can improve this. And, and you know, and it keeps me on my toes too. Um, with people, you know, they're wanting to try new things and do new things. And, you know, sometimes as a chef, you get, you know, writer's block. You feel stagnant. You're <laughs> sure. like, oh, my God, I've, you know, I've had six seasons now of butternut squash. What is something new and interesting? And here they come in with some really cool idea, and you guys work on it together, and you've got this great new dish. So, um, yeah, I think that, you know, being a chef is so much about teaching others. Yeah, absolutely. So you, let's rewind back to when you decided to change course and go full-time. How was that received by your family? Was that something they were supportive of? Were they yeah, I think asking so. questions? They, uh, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, the degree that I chose, I would have needed to continue going and getting more, you know, more education. And, um, and I, I just, but I think they knew, you know, she's always in the kitchen, she's what she wants to do. And there's no way we're going to stop her. So um, I asked my grandfather, uh, who has, who, he owned a hardware store for, a family-owned hardware store for almost 100 years. Oh, wow. And he had recently closed it and was living, had moved to Paducah to, um, so my mother could help take care Where of it. Where was his hardware store? In Greenville, Kentucky. Okay. It was called E.A. Cohen and Son, um, started by his father, who was an, they were uh, Prussian immigrants. Oh, wow. And they came over and they settled... Uh, in Greenville, Kentucky, and started a family, and my mother was raised there. Um, yeah, and, he, and now, and then it had gone full circle, you know, he had moved to my mother, to where my mother lived, and she was going to take care of him for a while, and I asked him if he could help me go to culinary school. You know, tears in my eyes, because it's hard to ask someone sure, for help. And he just, he like couldn't believe, he said, of course, I mean, of course, you know, he graduated high school 
um, at the same time that my mother's older sister did. He went and got his GED. Mm, that's he great. He had to quit working during the Great Depression, you know. And so I think the opportunity for him to help someone go to college, mm -hmm. he just was, he was as excited as I was to get the assistance. While we take a brief break, I wanted to tell you about my day job and sometimes nights and weekends. I'm a realtor with Keller Williams Bluegrass Realty. When I'm not eating or posting about food, I help people find the home of their dreams in the Lexington area. If you need to buy or sell your home, please email, text, or call alancornett at kw.com or 859-327-1818. Now let's talk more about food. So when you started that, did you imagine yourself back in Paducah? Was that where you wanted to be or was that something that came along later? No, I wanted to be as far away from Paducah as possible. Sure. Um, you know, I look back now and think, man, I had a great childhood. But I, and my parents have always said that they thought of, they have three kids, that of all the children, they never thought I would be the one to move back to Paducah. Um, I mean, you know, I wanted, I wanted big city, hustle and bustle, move fast and, you know, walk quickly and... I, I liked all that stuff, and um, so, you know, after I left UK, I went out to Charlotte, um, North Carolina, and went to Johnson & Wells, um, and I worked there for a couple of years, and then um, moved to Birmingham, Alabama, worked there for a couple of years, and then I said, you know, if I never move to New York City, like, I'm never, I gotta go, like, it's, it's, I gotta go, and so I moved to New York, no place to live, three huge dogs, um, and no job and made it happen when I got there and uh so that, that's no safety net there you're just you're just flying in yeah I mean <laughs> you know but I think it was a will to make sure it got done mm -hmm. you know I knew I wouldn't I knew I I would take any and you know I, I knew I wanted a specific type of job but I mean I'd work anywhere you know until I could find the one that I wanted um I'm not I'm not that proud I'll do, I'll do you know <laughs> so how long were you in New York I was there almost a little over four years. Okay. Yeah. So. So a good while. Yeah, and I loved it, and uh, it was great. It was great. So, what made you decide to go back to Paducah? Well, after New York, I, um, I left New York and moved to Chicago, and then I was in Chicago for a couple of years, um, and I had like you know I had gotten as far away from Paducah. You know, I had this get as far away from Paducah, the biggest city, as far as you can go. And then I moved to Chicago, and then I realized I could see my sister in Indy, my brother in Lexington, go see my folks in Paducah. It's like, a, you know, the longest one was a five-hour drive, and I was like, man, it's just really nice to be around your family, and you know, you don't have these planned trips of where you're flying everywhere, um, you know. And I'd been offered, I'd been given some opportunities in New York to open a restaurant, and I it was just too much money. Same thing happened in Chicago; it was too much money. So I started coming home to Paducah and kind of taking a look at buildings and, you know, started writing a business plan and uh, realized that it was, I could do it in Paducah. You know, I could, it was, I was economically, it was, I was going to be okay. I could, things don't cost nearly as much in Paducah <laughs> as they do in New York City. I can't imagine. And so, um, yeah, so I just decided I'm going to go home and, and there weren't, there wasn't anybody doing what I do. There mm -hmm. wasn't anybody that was... Um, you know, really working hard to directly source ingredients from small farms. Um, 
there wasn't a bourbon bar down there and we're in Kentucky and we're in the tip of Kentucky and people come through and they think Kentucky and they want to have bourbon. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a bourbon bar anywhere that far western Kentucky. Um, so I thought I'll just uh, go there and see how it works out. It's worked out pretty it's well. It's been pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Done pretty well. Do you, since you've been there and have been doing that, sort of the, I guess, the farm to table concept, have others latched onto that or others, have you had an influence there um, with that? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I think it's strange. There are some, there was a couple, there were places that were doing it, but I don't think that they were um, really... And you know, I'm not. I don't want to talk bad or poor about anybody that was there. I don't think they were promoting it as heavily yeah. as I do. They weren't as um, self-conscious about it, I guess. Yeah, or they were doing it. They just didn't realize how important it was right. to a business. People really want to know where their food comes from, sure. and they want to know. You know, this is a community-based um, restaurant. You know, we rely heavily on our community to keep our doors open, and it's this kind of circular thing. You give me money, I give it to my cooks, my cooks spend it here, you know, it's it's the perfect kind of economic circle. Um, the one thing that we're really proud of is that all the money goes to the farmers and people locally. So we use as much, we source as much locally as we can. Well, it seems like you've had a big impact. I mean, all, all the way out in Paducah, everybody knows about, yeah. about what you all are doing. Yeah, I think so. I hope so. Yeah, I think so. So you, you alluded to this. I wanted to kind of explore it a little bit. Uh, Freight House is ranked as one of the top bourbon bars in yep. the U.S. When did you, I mean, you're a little bit out, off the beaten path as far as the bourbon trail goes. When did you sort of decide that that's what you want to do? Is that something that you, I guess, attached to when you were at UK in Lexington? Is there a, is, was there a bigger bourbon culture out there? And you know, I mean, so I love bourbon. My father loves bourbon. We've eventually, we have finally turned my mother on to bourbon. <laughs> um, you know, we, it's, it's just a native spirit. And when you're talking about sourcing things locally, I mean, you've got to talk about, you know, Kentucky's native spirit. And, and it was, it was that, but it was also the fact that so Kentucky kind of lies, it's about halfway between New Orleans and Chicago. Um, and there are a lot of people that are snowbirds that come, the only way to get down to Florida from anywhere kind of in that Midwestern area, you gotta come through Paducah. So we knew that people, or I hoped that people would be like, man, I, I wanna go, I'm only gonna be in Kentucky for just a second. You know, you're driving through that Western Kentucky, right. Kentucky tip. Where can we get good bourbon? And then it shows up. So we really strive to, you know, make that part of our culture there. Mm -hmm. So you, you are, I guess, sort of benefiting from the halo effect of the bourbon tourism, bourbon trail, because yeah. they're, they have Kentucky in their mind. Yeah. And so that's what they're thinking about. Yeah. And, you know, it's so surprising. Um, and I'm sure that I am as ignorant, or maybe we won't say ignorant, um, un- educated maybe I don't know I can't figure out the word I want to use like if you show me a map of Iowa I don't know where Dubuque is I don't know where oh, you sure. know <laughs> so when people think Kentucky they're just thinking there's bourbon everywhere right but it's not the barrels you know? just rolling down the street yeah they're just like it's all over but it's not you know what we have down in western Kentucky is we have the ham you know we have ham right. down there yeah so um 
you know, we have lakes and fresh water and lots, which means lots of fit, you know, striped bass and prawns and Asian carp and things like that. Um, catfish, you know, we have all of this different stuff. Um, but we're all still one big state. Sure. You know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So we just just take a little of the love that's happening up here and we pulled it down our way. Yeah. So, so give me your personal bourbon go-tos. Mm, I, like if I'm just going to drink, if I can have my choice, I would drink Russell Reserve barrel picks all day long. Mm-hmm. So you're, I, a, you're a turkey gal. Yeah. I mean, I like turkey, but I, I mean, I just love all the Russell Reserve stuff. And I really like, you know, I don't, have you ever picked a Russell barrel? I've not, no. So I've done the tour at Wild Turkey. You know, they, um, you know, they bring out however many little bottles you want to taste and you stand there and you taste them and you're trying to proof them and, you know, the whole experience. And, um, you know, they're not bringing out anything that's bad. They're not bringing you out a bad one and saying, hey, do you want to pick this one? Which is what is happening always with any barrel pick. You know, if you're buying it, from somebody you trust. Um, and I just feel like all the Russell ones are so unique. Like every barrel tastes so different. Um, and then just, you know, I just love them. But if I can't have that, if I gotta go right off the shelf, mm, maybe, well, I, I was drinking, but they've finally gotten rid of it. My everyday was that Heaven Hill six-year oh, yeah, six bottled year. and bond. They took the age statement off, broke my heart. Um, that's the one good thing about owning a restaurant. Before they did that, we ordered six cases, and I put it in my basement <laughs> at home. I, I have spoken with others who have done who did similarly. So yeah. I've, I've been shown big stacks of, of boxes. So. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, it was I, just I don't the think best, you're the only one. You know, it was the best bottom shelf. It was an everyday whiskey that was so good. It was great for cocktailing. It was great drinking straight it was it was perfect so do you is it something since you've got a little bit of a stash are you keeping that back do you use it i drink i mean no we keep that just yeah but okay and then you know it's a personal stash yeah Yeah. (laughs) um yeah i mean i always you know i don't know i I like it all it's hard let me throw an exercise out to you that i've i've challenged a couple of other people with so i'm give you a hundred dollars drop you off at a well-stocked liquor store like a liquor barn or whatever, what do you come out with? It has to be something you can find. So it has to be something on the shelf. But Uh, picks would be okay, because those are around here pretty readily available. Does it have to be bourbon? No. You know, so um, while I was pregnant, my palate changed just immensely. Like, it, it was so surprising. You know, I love seafood. I couldn't touch. I couldn't touch it. I couldn't look at it. Like mussels, one of my favorite things. And I, I mean, just the sight of a mussel, just I couldn't take it. Um, you know, and before I got pregnant, I didn't really like mezcal, but now after um, we've had this baby, I mean, I just lo- I'm just in love with mezcal right now. So I think I would probably got a hundred bucks. Get a really good bottle of Mezcal for $40, $50. Get a bottle of uh, Carpano Antica Sweet Vermouth and uh, a bottle of Campari. You can bring that in for 100 bucks. Mm. And I would make a Mezcal Negroni. <laughs> so it's equal parts Mezcal, Sweet Vermouth, and Campari. And that's the same thing as a Boulevardier. Right. You know, you're just putting whiskey or bourbon in there. 
Um, and that's my favorite bourbon drink too, is a Boulevardier. So I just, one day I was like, oh, let's switch it out, put Mezcal in there. And my whole life changed. <laughs> so yeah, I think that's, that's what it would be. What did you, so, so I guess your, your palate opened up as far as appreciating that. Is it something, have you moved away from what you liked before or is it just adding something new in that you like now? I think it's adding something new in. I mean, I still drink bourbon. Um, you know, I like wine. I like beer. I like them all. <laughs> um, I think it's just, you know, I never really liked scotch either. And mm -hmm. now I'm like trying to, you know, I'm getting into scotch more. Um, I think it was always that kind of smoky flavor that I really veered from. But now I'm finding that my palate really enjoys it. So mm -hmm. maybe it's, Maybe it was being pregnant. Maybe I just maybe it was turning thirty seven. Maybe I grew up but when just I turned a maturity. Or it <laughs> opened palette, up a little bit. You know, they always say like, "Oh, little kids, their palate will mature." Maybe mine is still happening. <laughs> well, so. yeah, it, could, it things change as as time goes on. So, well, let me ask you a little bit about Top Chef. Yeah, I don't know. You may be tired of talking about it, but, um, <laughs> but you've got a little distance from it now. So. Yeah, you know, you never. I mean. I don't want to say I'm tired of talking about it. It's such a cool experience. Sure. Um, you know, it's there's so much that happens in a reality TV show that you think you understand what's going on behind the scenes, but you really have no clue right. um, until you're in that. So, like when they say you have 30 minutes, they really mean you have 30 minutes. Or like when they say you have, you know, $500 and you better be in line at this time. I mean, those rules are real. Um, what you don't know about is how they're creating what I think is an equal playing field for everyone. Mm -hmm. So they've done a lot of little things. No clocks, no radios, no phones, no watches, hmm. no news, no music. You know, everybody, because I love to read the news every day. Somebody else, they love to listen to music while they prep. So they kind of take away all of those things and you're just fully submerged in, you know, Top Chef. And it, and it makes it equal for everyone. So that was the one of the most surprising things to one me. One of the things that strikes me is because I know every chef on there is extremely talented. They know what they're doing. But they create a, a stressful situation where, I mean, that essentially can make you look dumb, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. Not you particularly, but any yeah. chef on there. When when you sit back and think, you know, these people could all cook rings around anybody, but the situation is such that all of a sudden they they're basically creating opportunities for failure. I would think that would be frustrating. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you know, I'll give it to them. I think they try to give you everything that you need to be successful. Mm -hmm. I really do think they try, like, you know, nobody wants to see people, or I, I enjoy seeing people succeed more than I do seeing people sure. fail. And so they really are trying to set you up to do a good job. But um, it's hard to cook in the constraints of, you know, this, you know, we need you to make a dish from your childhood that's reminiscent of Christmas. And I'm like, well, I'm a Jewish kid, you know? So it's like all these things that, you know, it's hard to, to do that. Um, but 
I think it's part of the game, you know, mm -hmm. and it is, and it's top chef is not just being about the best chef in the room. It's about being able to adapt to the situation right. and see what the requirements are for that particular mm -hmm. challenge and fill it the best. Yeah. You're, so, it's a test. It That's really what I always is. tell my tell my kids. If you're taking a test, find out what the teacher wants yeah. and do that. It's not yeah. necessarily what you imagine is the best job. They're the ones doing the grading, so you've got to appeal to them. So, yeah. you know, I would think part of it would be learning the learning the judges. What do these judges like? What appeals to them? Yeah, and you know, there's all these rules that they do on. You know, they talk about on Top Chef. Don't make risotto. Don't do a duo, just do a dish one way, because then they're going to judge you on two dishes instead of, you know, they have all of these rules that you hear people talk about, and you think, yeah, but if I get on there, <laughs> and then it's, <laughs> I can do it. Yeah. I can do it. Um, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's been interesting. It's been really good for my business. Sure, I was going to ask you about that. I it's, mean, um, do you have, great. I guess, sort of top chef tourists who, who show up? We have yeah. people from all over the world that come to Paducah, Kentucky to dine at Freight House. Yeah, that's um, great though. It is just, I didn't know the reach would be so far. And I think that the farther you make it in the competition, the more effect that Top sure. Chef has, you know. Um, but I made it pretty far. You did. I did pretty yeah. well. Yeah. So, Absolutely. You know. You know, um, you, know you, you had a unique role because you were kind of a Kentucky ambassador through through the entire thing. Did you, did you feel pressure for that? Oh yeah, I felt, I mean, from the moment I, before I even left, you know, I, I wanted to do, I wanted to do well for, I think the first person I wanted to do well for was, or for the first group was for my mother and father and husband, uh, because I left and they took care of the restaurant. And I was like, well, if I'm gonna leave for three months, want these guys, you know, I want to, I want to show well, I don't want them to be for nothing. And then it kind of was like my community, you know, I want, if, if I do well, people are going to come and they're going to eat and they're going to fill up their car tank with gas and they're going to stay in hotels and they're going to shop at shops where they're waiting to come into the restaurant. And then even on a bigger scale, I was like, I want to do good for Kentucky. You know, they only chose one person from Kentucky. Right. So... You know, maybe it would have been different if they'd had two of us on there, but right. they only had one. <laughs> but, but it was you. Yeah, they only had one, and it's like, you know, I, I know how proud Kentuckians are, and, and also how supportive we are of each Absolutely, other. Absolutely, yeah. You know, if somebody's from Kentucky, I mean, we are... There's, there's nothing Kentuckians like better than seeing another Kentuckian do well. Yeah. And so, so it was great, um, but it was a lot of pressure. But as the competition went along, I kind of let that pressure go away a little bit and figured out that it was, you know, that everybody would be proud no matter what. Did you feel different? Did you feel a release of that somewhat after you left Kentucky when you went to Macau? Was that? Um, I think so. I yeah. think that um, when we got to Macau, I asked, you know, I kind of felt like I had proven myself, you know, you're in the top five, you've made it this far. And so you can kind of prove that not prove, but you know you've you've shown that you deserve to be there. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, it it had to have been an exciting experience. How did you how did you initially I guess find out about it? How did you get tied into it to start with? Um, they contacted me 
and asked me if I wanted to do it. Weta actually suggested my name, or threw my name in the hat, I guess, and they called, and, and I thought, I would never do Top Chef. Like, <laughs> you know, and I didn't call him back for a week or two, um, thinking like, eh, you know, and, and then I found out it was gonna be in Kentucky, and I called him back, and I said, yeah, you know, I would love to, love to do that, and they wanted me to, it's actually funny, they wanted me to create a video and submit it of me, you know, cooking stuff, and um, I said, well, I'm sorry, I don't have time to do that, and they kind of, you don't have time, and I said, no, I have to cook at the James Beard house on Friday, and this was like on a Tuesday, I said, I'm leaving for New York City tomorrow, I said, but um, you're welcome to watch the live feed on James Beard, and I'll give you, you can watch me cook all night long. It right. was great. And this was a dinner I did with Weta. Um, so Weta and I went and we did a Kentucky Proud, Heart of Kentucky dinner, all Kentucky products. And um, a couple of days after the Beard event, they called me and they said, you were great. And I had totally forgotten they were watching. I mean, I kind of knew in my back, but, in my mind, but that wasn't what I was there right. for. It hadn't gotten that far. You had things to do. Yeah, and then um, then I came up to do the feast event, and when I did feast that day, they called me and they said, "You have made it into the semifinals, for, or you know, you've made it into the next round of cuts. We want to schedule to have you come out to L.A." And I'm standing here at feast. This was two, three years ago. It would have been 2018. So in 2018. Um, and they said, and don't tell anybody. And I was like, oh my God. So I work with all these chefs. And <laughs> right. there were two chefs that had actually been on Top Chef. And but I wanted you couldn't to ask, go them ask them. <laughs> right. And I, you know, I wanted to call my family, but the event was starting, so I couldn't call them. So I was just working this event with this in my head, thinking, oh, all sure. right, well, now I guess I'm going to LA. Maybe this is really going to happen. And then it just progressed to where they were like, you're going to be on the show. I said, all right, I guess we'll do it. Yeah, well, it worked out. Yeah. So do you, uh, do you see your fellow contestants all along still? I do. I see, um, I will actually see Kevin, who was, uh, he was, he was great. He was on the, the season with me. I'll see him on uh, Sunday at the James Beard Boot Camp. Um, I see Nene and Kelsey quite a bit and do some events with Justin Sutherland. Um, you know, we just, we yeah. all keep in touch. We have this yeah. huge group text message. Mm -hmm. Um, called the ex-cons, which is the ex-contestants. Oh. <laughs> and we are on there all the time, you know, supporting each other and, and chatting about food and things like that. So, Sounds fun. fun. Yeah, it's a life-changing a life experience, obviously. It is, and you become like a part of this little secret club. Yeah. You know, you don't, yeah. there's only so many people that have been on the show. Sure. And, so it's pretty fun. And they're getting ready to do, I guess, an all-star all show? They are. They asked time. me if I would come. My baby would have been three months old, and there's no way. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm dying now because she's, it's been gone from her for, right. this is six days, the yeah. longest I've ever been. And I think to be away at three months. Yeah, bad timing yeah. for that. Yeah, could have done it. Well, more fun to spend time with her. Yeah. Yeah, I've got, you know, I've got my whole life ahead of me to do other stuff like that. I only have Absolutely. this little time right now. Well, then what, what do you think the future is going to hold? Are you good at, is, is it Paducah forever? I, yeah, I think Paducah forever. That's um, good. You know, my husband's an attorney, <laughs> and we raise a lot of cattle as well. 
Um, so he's got those, you know, we, we call him a farm and lawyer. Um, <laughs> or, you know, and so um, that's there. My folks are there. You know, I, I could have stayed in Chicago or stayed in New York or, or picked a different city and really been, you know, just another one of the chefs with restaurants. But by moving to Paducah, you know, I get to be one of the few chefs there. And so I think there's another restaurant in the works. It's too soon to give too much information mm -hmm. out way about it, but it's in the works. Well, and you can nobody will hear this, so you can, just, <laughs> you can tell us whatever. I'll tell you what, I'll call you when, it, <laughs> okay. when, we, when we talk about it, All and right. I'll let you know. But Please um, do. Yeah, but you were really, you know, I do a lot with them. Barbecue, competitions, um, and we are raising money for, um, you know, the Art House Cinema there, we've just recently partnered where we're also going to raise money for a group called Project Pomona, which combats food um, insecurities in our community. Um, so yeah, so you know, Paducah. And just like I said earlier, when I look back on it, it was a great place to grow up. Mm -hmm. And I have a family and I want to raise them in a great place to grow up. Well, I think it's definitely good for Kentucky to have people like you and some others who have seen the impact that you can have in places like Paducah and other towns. Uh, it's, it seems like Kentucky is, with the food scene right now, it's, it's really welcoming mm -hmm. to success on, uh, it, as long as you're willing to embrace the Kentucky side of it. I mean, yeah. So we're glad that you're here. Well, thank you. I'm so, I mean, it's, I never thought it would work out like this, but I think that, I mean, it, it has been, Kentucky has been integral in every part of everything I do and every part of who I am. And so moving home, now when I look back on it, it makes so much more sense than being someplace else and trying to be somebody different. Um, you know, and now I just get to be myself every single day. Yeah. And it's fun. Well, thanks for being on and thank happy you. birthday. Thank you and happy birthday to you. Oh, Coming well, up thank in a couple you very days. much. Yeah. All right. Well, I hope we can talk again sometime. All right. Thanks. Okay. You can find links to Chef Bradley's social media and the Freight House website in show notes. Please hit the subscribe button to the Eat Kentucky podcast to be notified of future episodes, and please leave a five-star rating. It really helps others find the podcast. Also, please tell a friend who might enjoy the podcast. You can follow my other explorations of Kentucky food on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I would love for you to visit the new Eat Kentucky Patreon at patreon.com slash eatkentucky where you can support the podcast and receive bonuses and previews. The Eat Kentucky theme is by Art Mize. If you have any questions or comments, you can email me at eatkentucky at gmail.com. If you're looking to buy or sell a home in the Lexington area, I'm a realtor with Keller Williams Bluegrass Realty. I would love to talk to you. Until next time, this is Alan Cornett.